guys, Jim Cox, and I'm here today with an interview with Barbara Williams. She is a climate activist from uh, the United Kingdom, and uh, she reached out to me regarding an article I wrote uh, a couple of days ago. And, um, you know, I thought it would be valuable to kind of get her take on the issue of climate change and uh, so forth. So, Barbara, thanks for taking the time to chat today. Uh, thank you very much, Jim, for inviting me. Awesome. So tell us, tell us a little bit about your background. How did you, how did you get involved in terms of client, uh, climate activism? Um, well, I was interested in the environmental situation when I was um, at school. I, I did maths and physics um, university. And I sort of decided in my teens that I wasn't going to have any children because I was rather worried about, um, you know, the way that humans were treating the planet. Mm. And um, then I sort of went to sleep in terms of my awareness. After my degree, I got, got married and thoroughly enjoyed life and probably produced in a huge amount of CO2 with my foreign holidays and everything. And it wasn't until 2019 that I woke up again when um, Extinction Rebellion closed the bridges in London, um, Easter 2019. And at that point, I'd, uh, I'd not long lost my husband and I'd also, um, my mum had passed away. I'd been looking after her for the, after I lost my husband. And then I had no responsibilities or I had plenty of time on my hand. And I thought, Sorry about oh, great. your losses. Yeah, I'm sorry about your losses there. Thank you. Um, but in terms of timing, um, I was in, in terms of being an activist, it takes a lot of dedication yeah. and um, time and energy. And I was there without any commitments to anybody. So it enabled me to actually get very heavily involved. And um, as soon as I started looking at the data, I mean, I'd never, I'd not been following it at all in, in the intervening years. And it was horrific. Mm -hmm. I mean, CO2 graph is simply exponential. Yeah. Um, we, and funnily enough, the CO2 rise um, ties up both with population growth, global population growth, and global GB, GDP growth, interestingly enough, I have recently realized. So all three of the environmentally damaging parameters which were um, identified by Paul Ehrlich and John Holdren in their IPAT equation, um, back in the 1970s, they, they derived this equation that concluded that um, the environmental damage inflicted by humans is um, a product of the number of us and how affluent we are and and the way that we use technology because of course technology helps to accelerate the rate at which we damage our environment so um i went at that point um, I went through a real meltdown of terror at the realization of how bad things had got while I was gaily enjoying myself living an affluent lifestyle. 
that had contributed very significantly to the um the situation that we are in now mm-hmm. so um from that state of terror <laughs> it was quite it was quite a long journey to actually um start being an an activist i mean i initially i worked with extinction rebellion and um did the things that they advise you know try and get arrested and things like that (laughs) um you know made banners and then i thought well um i think i spent a week in london in, in october 2019 and the press hardly reported it. There were thousands of people there, thousands of arrests, uh-huh. but the press had changed their strategy from the, the, the one that woke me up earlier in the year had actually achieved something because that, um, that rebellion actually got the UK parliament to declare a climate and ecological emergency. Huh. However, what I didn't realize at the time, it was the declaration was done by the UK Parliament, which actually has no executive power. Hmm. So, um, how is how is the Parliament related to the House of Commons and Lords then? Well, the the Parliament are all is the collection of MPs, but it's the government, it's the cabinet ministers who Hmm. have executive power. So it um, it's just a, a small section of Parliament which actually make decisions about um, how we're going to spend our money and what what policies we're going to have. So the decision by Parliament that we had an emergency was just lip service, really, to the yeah. situation. It was not able to actually do anything. Yeah. So. It, uh, and in fact, it's like most things that are happening by politicians in respect of the whole emergency. It's just, uh, you know, words and, and the actions that they are doing, of course, are all aggravating the situation because we're still in a, we're still pursuing growth economics. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and as, um, as, as the IPAT equation tells us, um, that um, as long as we're increasing our GDP, as long as we're over-consuming the way that we so enjoy, we're going to make things worse. Mm. And most of the solutions that they're coming up with are are involving technology. And of course, when you start building electric cars and all these things involve a huge um, ecological damage element Mm -hmm. so we are actually aggravating the escalating the problem with our solutions at the moment and we even have a un sustainable development goal which is promoting economic growth Hmm. so we are really in we got no hope of progressing until we until we can get ourselves out of the the economic growth paradigm that we've um, bought into for for decades now, well, yeah. hundreds of years even. Yeah. So it's interesting you bring up the uh, UN Development Goals. They just came out with the uh, IPCC 
and uh, the UN came out with um, the most recent climate condition report, which was obviously uh, red alert. They, I think they called it or uh, some sort of in climate emergency, you know, thing. Well, obviously in contradiction to each other, you know, um, growth running in contradiction to what do we actually do. And I've, I've started reading the IPCC report, but I really don't expect to see any hard resolutions as far as with what to actually do as far as actions. Um, so this idea of degrowth, in your opinion, is really kind of the, the path that needs to be more fully explored. Um. Well, fortunately, not just my opinion, because I have no standing at all, but there are some very erudite people and recognized people, like um, Dr. William Rees. He was the, the gentleman who um, fathered the whole concept of ecological footprint. Hmm. I think what I should point out, um, what, I dis what, I, what I have discovered, when you mentioning the IPCC report, is that is all about climate change. What mm. it doesn't address is ecological collapse. Mm. Now, this is, where, this is where the whole IPAT equation, the three environmental, environmentally damaging parameters is overlooked because mm. when you look at the climate or when people in general look at the climate, they tend to talk in terms of CO2 emissions, don't they? Mm -hmm. They for this, is a far too simplistic way to look at um, the existential problems that we're facing at the moment. We have to look at what we're doing to our ecology and to do that, um, you, need to, you need to look at the way we're interacting with other life forms. And you have to look at the fact that we've got the sixth mass extinction going on. We've got escalating extinction rates, the COVID pandemic is a symptom of ecological collapse. Pandemics are, um, are to be expected when you're over encroaching on biodiversity. So the, the, um, to, to just look at our CO2 emissions, which so many people do, they think if we can just get to net zero, we'll be all right. But that's not true because yeah our environment is so damaged. I mean, look at the heat dome that you yeah. had recently in. I mean, to be able to grow, to grow food when you can't rely on fat rainfall and you've got searing heat that's gonna mm -hmm. scorch the earth, mm -hmm. it's quite obvious that you're going to struggle to survive. Mm -hmm. And of course, as soon as you can't produce food, then money loses its power because unless, and, and and all of our money is derived from some natural resource or another. That's where it, that's where it originates. Uh -huh. So while, whilst we're destroying our environment, um, we're going to eventually devalue our money because as soon as, e well, ecological collapse is already happening. We've got the two, the two main symptoms that people know about, which is, um, mass extinct uh, is the extinction rate going up and the other one is COVID. Um, so we know ecological collapse is on its way. 
We don't know how quickly it's going to escalate, but there are one or two scientists like Dr. Rees who are beginning to tell us that um, the forecast is our society is likely to collapse by 2040 if we can't make the break from the economic growth paradigm. Oh. Um, the other one is the Professor Chris Bystroff. Now he's done some demographic uh, predictions which take into account ecological damage that we're doing. Now normally the UN demographic predictions they just extrapolate birth rates and death rates and they say oh we're going to carry on growing now professor chris bystroff says we've probably already peaked and he might be right if you look we won't really know till next year when un publish global population figures but his predictions show us peaking now and then going into steep population collapse possibly halving our numbers by in the next 20 years so by 2040 we'd be down from 8 billion now to 4 billion so my um all my work concentrates around ecological um collapse and ecological overshoot which is a concept that many many people are unaware of um, have you heard of the Global Footprint Network um, website? No, no. I mean, I know of um, the overshoot in terms of like how much we're overconsuming and so forth. So, but sure. you, you, have you come sure. across the Earth Overshoot Day? That's normally yeah. the way it's referred to. Yeah, yeah. So, um, well, there's a chap called Mathis Wackenagel who's um, he's spent most of his life accumulating this very complex data about from every country about how good the biocapacity of that particular area of land is and how productive, productive it is. And his, his website, which is the Global Footprint Network um, website, that calculates the extent to which the population living in that country are living within the biocapacity or exceeding it. Mm. So at the moment, about 85% of countries are actually exceeding the biocapacity of their borders. Places like um, the, uh, the UK, I mean, we're, about, we're consuming about three times as much as our, our borders can actually provide. So in other words, we're relying on imports in order mm -hmm. to survive. So we're terribly overpopulated and overconsuming a combination of the two. I can't remember how it's how it sits for the U USA actually. So That's okay. I think, what I think you're overconsuming at, at about five times. I'm um, sure. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's sad reality, and it's it's uh, consumerism without any of these, any of the awareness of or concern of what's really going on around us. And as much as you try to raise, like we don't have the uh, extinction rebellion in the United States, nothing so active, sadly. But um, you know, it's it's something that really needs to be 
more at the forefront of what's going on in terms of people's thought process? Well, I think, um, I mean, I've been complacent most of my life, so it's not as though I can't understand the um, an aesthetic effect of sitting down and watching television. I mean, that is a big part of the problem. I mean, you can have yeah. all sorts of uh, horrid problems explained to you, but then you sit down and watch the latest episode of your favourite programme, and then yeah. it, all, it all seems not irrelevant or... Yeah. hard to grasp that it's really happening so let me ask you this so you you saw the extinction rebellion protest on the bridge and i remember that i mean it was pretty big news here and that opened your eyes to what was going on and you went from like amazement to sheer terror so how did you get from the terror to acting in a positive way because a lot of people will, I think the human, the human process is to then kind of retreat into despair and not do anything. Like, how do you avoid despair and get to the work at hand in terms of being active and working towards change? Well, Extinction Rebellion helped a lot in that. I mean, it would, I don't, when you, you say it's not in America, it could easily. The thing yeah. is, they 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 are worldwide. It, you, I'm sure there are there are areas within the USA where it is active, and it's very easy to find out. Um, just to go online, search for Extinction Rebellion, you'll find their website, and you can find the, the nearest active group to you, which is precisely what I did. Mm. And um, there. I was lucky that Oxford, where I live, um, is quite central to the birth of um, Extinction Rebellion, and mm. it's got a big, a big group. And I had people that I could, I could actually go to meetings and meet people, and and um, not feel alone with my mm -hmm. anxieties. And mm -hmm. that is hugely important. Being talking to other people who are equally worried, because then you don't feel totally mad with your yeah perception um so building so community would, so building community is really a, a stepping stone towards affecting change i think this particular change has to come from us i don't it's not so i can i don't blame politicians and i don't blame fossil fuel industry either because what i have come to believe is it is the the flaw in democracy is that it, there's nothing in democracy that prevents us from voting for something that's totally unsustainable and if if i look at all the parties in the uk the, all the options that we've got to vote for none of them are offering degrowth so uh, it's because nobody wants degrowth no nobody has yet decided that it's a good thing to give up economic growth so that's where we are where humanity is at the moment it is headed in a very destructive direction and it has got no inclination to turn around and face the total opposite direction yet even with all the evidence stacking up you know of floods and the reality of existential crisis is now 
hitting home on our newspapers. But um, it's because people are just looking at the CO2 factor that they don't link it to the three um, ecological factors, which are population size, affluence and technology. They are believing, oh, we can still grow our population, we can still grow our GDP, and we can still increase our use of technology. And all three of those are going to cause us to get deeper and deeper into ecological debt. Hmm. So it's a huge, it's an emotional transition that we need to make from the whole lifestyle that we love and has I mean, it has been brilliant. I've had a brilliant life myself. Um, we got, we've got to admit that it's actually going to give our, our children no future. And most, many of us, um, even my age, I, I probably, if we carry on the way we, we're going, then I'll probably see um, problems feeding feeding the population in the UK, especially since we're so over our own biocapacity. Um, but my hope is that humanity will actually come to its senses and behave very differently. And, um, and this is where I've, I've drawn up this proposal for a united aspiration where we, but it involves, it involves an emotional maturity. It involves not believing that we are invincible. I mean, that's another thing that's come with our modern lifestyle. Yeah. We think, oh, we can't fail. We're so clever. Surely we can fix it the way we've fixed other things. Mm. But, but that doesn't apply with ecological collapse. And we are pretty advanced down that route. That's interesting. So that idea of invincibility being part of like a modern kind of philosophical outlook um, I mean, do you think that's based on kind of our manipulation arrogance. of science? Okay, arrogance. Yeah, oh, well, I think, yes, there's a huge amount of conceit in the academic world. Mm. Um, well, not just in the intellectual world in general. Um, so because part of what we've done with, with the technological re revolution we have distanced ourselves from nature mm. and we have forgotten how powerful she is. Mm -hmm. th because we, I mean, we have lived through a very well-balanced era in, in, in the world's climate. And that has enabled us to extract all these wonderful resources and do all these things. But we are now seeing how she behaves when that balance is disrupted and it is extremely damaging when you're in the middle of it mm. i mean if you've been in a flood situation then you know it it can be happen very very quickly and you've got no hope of of saving yourself when that that sort of disaster happens mm -hmm. um so it's it's because we've been in this comfortable balanced situation for most of our lives not just our lives but our parents before us and then so it's several generations have been costed and spoiled in in the affluent world in all sorts of ways 
and the admission that this is coming to an end uh -huh. um, is a really difficult, painful, emotional step. Uh -huh. And especially if you've got children, young children, you think, oh, they, they've got to face this. They've got to live through this. It's not going to get any better. It's going to take hundreds of years for us to mop up the mess that we've made. Uh -huh. And that is if we're actually doing the things that we need to do to, to improve the situation. We haven't got to the point of starting to improve the situation yet because we're yeah. still headed in the wrong direction. Uh -huh. So this, that transition emotion, emotionally is a big step. And that's where my writing comes in, because I've written this book, which is intended to help people, A, to understand the science of it, and B, to make the emotional transition to understand that we cannot carry on behaving in the, with the expectations that we've had in the past, because mm -hmm. it's so damaging. Yeah, I saw, um, what's the name of your book? I saw it, and I was actually going to bring that up when I introduced you. Uh, yeah, saving us from ourselves. Saving us from ourselves. So, yeah. I didn't realize you had written a book, but you know, I definitely think that uh, we're going to have to do a set. Once I read it, I definitely think we have to do a a second program just based on that book. Um, oh, lovely! So, if you don't mind, um, but what we're talking about here is really a unique. It's a it's a Western outlook, right? It's like in a lot of ways, like ours is like this privileged view of dealing with this change, but in reality, in the developing world and, you know, most places in the world, they're already, you know, struggling with this changed environment. I mean, you look at what happened in Syria a number of years ago and the cascade of refugees that were driven out by starvation and civil war that ensued. And I mean, all of that can be you know, connected to what happened in terms of the climate and what that did to crops, you know, in 2012 and 13 and prices. So we're already seeing that, that kind of struggle in terms of dealing with this new reality in the, in the uh, emerging world, in the uh, well, I, world. What I feel is that it, it is the affluent world that has, done the oh yeah no doubt that has done the damage we need we need to lead the way we yeah. need to um admit culpability first that's the really painful step um collective collective culpability not like i say i don't blame politicians and i don't blame fossil fuel in i blame us all of us all of us that have enjoyed it mm -hmm. enjoyed the ride we've got to say right that's enough of um playing and enjoying ourselves we we've got to take this seriously um that that is not to say we shouldn't enjoy ourselves it's a very interesting thing i learned in from extinction rebellion that once you start to see the picture for really for what it really is then you have to balance your anxieties with the ability to still enjoy life because otherwise you can't function Mm -hmm. And Extinction Rebellion are quite good at sort of telling, reassuring you that you must allow yourself to regenerate. And when now, now I write so much, 
I do. I love the freedom that I have because mm -hmm. usually in the daylight I get out there and I go for a walk and I think things through and like in for preparation for this talk with you, I've been talking to myself as I walk along and, um, and that's great. I come back with fresh ideas and, you know, it unwinds me and I'm very lucky here with, um, I live in a village, which is, um, very rural and I have lovely walks that I can go on. Well, so me... that is a really important part when, if you're going to be an activist, you have mm -hmm. to be able to unwind as well. Yeah. Yeah. So let me ask you, um, as you're doing your walks and you come across other people in your village, like, um, how do they respond to your views? Like, do you share your views? I mean, is there a, how do you bridge the conversation with somebody who is not yet there as far as being awakened or being aware? Like, um, do they do they consider you the old lady on the hill in the in the house that uh, you know nobody should go see at Halloween? I mean, you know, it. I mean, uh, well, um, fortunately, I'm I'm quite an extrovert character anyway. <laughs> so I suspect I I was always a bit wacky even before I became an environmentalist. Um, I think my close friends because. Um, my husband and I, we, we, we had the five couples that we were very close, we used to go on shared holidays. Now, I do struggle with some of them nowadays because we didn't mix much in COVID, um, mm. in the lockdown. I have a widow friend that I go for walks with very often. So I have my little bubble. And, um, but the ones with the families, they are very reluctant to, to take the, the whole thing seriously and to move out of complacency and i think i have actually distanced myself from saying look i'm i'm into the new world now because i've got so many people that i interact with who are really genuinely interested and are and want advice how to move forward on activism that i in a way i can't spare the energy really my my energy on my old friends because they don't they don't want to hear it anyway and um so I might as well work on people who are interested and do want to move forward. So it's sad, but that's where I am. And I'm hoping that they will, they will come into the new stage of the paradigm shift one of these days and that we will be close again. Well, I think one of the things that's changing people's minds and people's realities is that it's, it's happening to more people like more people are being displaced by either fires or floods. I mean, it's, it's not a limited number of people that it's occurring to anymore. And so at a certain point you have to say, you know, this is crazy. Why did this happen? And once you start peeling the onion, it, your eyes just start to water, you know, it, but it's, it, it's it, happening it, it, to more and more people, sadly, but that's, I guess what it takes in order to, awaken more and more people to the actual reality of how fast it's changing because it's it's accelerating the rate of change is accelerating well this is um we pass tipping points yeah and um, ecological and climate and that and they are exacibating each other we, we're into feedback loops now 
and yes it is going to accelerate and it is very tragic but i think what might come out of it is a much more earth grounded um society because our community that the electronic and coercive commute um, consumer culture has created is a very false uh, type of existence it, it we've like like i say we've lost our connection with nature and we need to regain that and uh, and we will be better our mental health will improve once we achieve that and we start being honest with ourselves about what is really important because so many things we purchase are, are absolutely unnecessary and we've got um people fretting about their appearance and whether they're nail varnish matches and you know all these trivia that, and also the um papers in the, in the uk are full of celebrity news which is so irrelevant to whether we're going to survive or not i mm think -hmm. you know they one day they put climate on the front page because of the ipcc report the next day they're talking about prince andrew and being naughty you know i mean that is we really don't need to know about that do we no no um so you've mentioned uh, getting back to nature a number of times um what do you think what's the role of spirituality and i'm not talking about religion but just people being spiritual what role does spirituality play in terms of getting to where we need to be in order to address climate change and the ecological disaster a powerful role um i i'm um myself i define myself as an agnostic which is um you um you don't know we we cannot prove whether or not there is there is a, a greater being but my instinctively i feel as though that there, there there is something spiritual and powerful i i feel that a lot of my environmental work has has worked out in a way i couldn't have imagined you know so i feel there's a serendipity there that gives me hope that uh -huh. that things will will actually i can't say improve but i i think i think i will live to see humanity behave much better than it has done in the past because like this this problem that's facing us now cannot be solved unless we do it collectively mm -hmm. so it, it requires a cooperation that way beyond anything we've ever um, achieved in the past but i think the the necessity is will will help us to do just that that's awesome so um it turns out you're a uh you're a poet also you're a poet <laughs> and i didn't know it but um i found your work on your website and uh i wanted to share people share with people one of your poems you sent a number of poems to to uh parliament um this was one of them it's called the uh, if you don't mind i'm going to read it since i have it pulled up <clears throat> it's called the realistic optimist the realistic optimist will see that we are heading for catastrophe 
but I'll draw the line at deep despair so long as we begin to be aware. We know our ecological debt is high, fueled by every new thing that we buy. We know this is how we need to measure the true cost of our luxury and leisure. This knowledge will help us to make a start to find a new way to give us heart. First realism, so we know the score, then optimism, so we can do more. I thought that was so powerful. I, um, you know, I'm definitely gonna spread that around uh, different places, but um, what was the reaction to Parliament when uh, you sent in your, your 20 poems? I had very little response. Mm. Um, just a couple of acknowledgements. Um, the rule when you contact a member of parliament in, in the UK is that um, the only MPs that are obliged to respond to you are, um, is your own MP, the one for your own locality. And um, my own MP didn't actually respond at all. <laughs> <laughs> but then he, he he does respond to some of my letters um, <laughs> well, that's good he knows you're there uh, but uh yeah i would i would say that those are the only poems i've ever written in my life and they were written when i was at a very dark dark point in my um real realization and they were sort of a purging of of, me, of my inability to express myself. Mm -hmm. And um, since then I've got better and better at expressing myself. I had a lot of help. I had help with the poems. I got a professional editor to help me with them. And um, the same chap uh, helped me with, with the book as well. He, and, and also as a lovely American lady helped me with the book. Awesome, awesome. Um... So if people want to follow up with you and learn more about your work or talk to you about it, how can they reach out to you? Do you have a website? Well, obviously you have a website. What? Yeah, if you search for Poems for Parliament, um, then you'll find my website, poemsforparliament.uk, and you can download the booklet of poems. You can download the book all for free. And there's a lot of resources there about ecological overshoot and all sorts of other relevant information including this idea of a universal aspiration awesome so like i said uh, once i read the book um give me a, a month or two i have a few in the queue that i need to uh that i need to finish but uh i'd love to revisit with you and really focus and focus on that and we'll talk some more if that's okay that would be lovely thank you so much awesome well thank you very much i'll talk to you soon Bye-bye then, Jim.